Welcome, congregation, to our Wednesday night Bible study. And we're in the book of Ephesians, and as we get started today, let's remember to, as always, when we approach the Word of God, to confess our sins and make sure that we're in the right stead with God. Will you join me in a quick word of prayer? And let's pray for all of our sick. We have many. Lord, we pray for our sick and our congregation, those that are hurting. Uh, pray for your blessing, Lord, uh, on us today. Be with us and help us as a church and as a body. And Lord, as we look at the book of Ephesians today, we acknowledge our sins. We have sinned against you in every way. And Lord, we ask for cleansing that we might see the word clearly. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I feel like I need to do a little review today. And uh, I'm going to quit touching my face eventually. Uh, but my nose itches sometimes. I get itches. I don't know why. And uh, we're going to uh, look at Ephesians chapter 2. Let's do a short review this was, of course, Paul's favorite church, considered to be as close to a perfect church as there can be. There's no recrimination for anything wrong. There's no uh, calling them out, pointing out difficulty. The only thing that Paul does here is remind them of some of the things down the road. He is doing preventative maintenance for the church. Building them up is his priority, to make them stronger in the faith. Let's look at some verses in here that indicate his intentions. He wants to build the church up and make it stronger. Chapter Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And back in chapter 2, verse 21, Look there, if you will. Chapter 2, verse 21. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. He wants us to grow together, the church, we're to grow together into a holy temple in the Lord. We're all bricks of that building. And he wants us to grow together. In whom we're also building together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. And God certainly does indwell us. And then in chapter 6, look there if you will, chapter 6, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Wherefore, take you uh, on the whole armor of God, verse 13, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. They need to be strengthened up that they can stand and withstand the assault of the enemy. And then finally chapter 4, verse. let's look in chapter 4. I've got several verses here. Uh, he tells us chapter 4, verses 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by every that which supplieth, every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part maketh increaseth, increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love, the building up edifying of itself in love. Then he tells them in chapter 4, uh, verses 2, 3, and 13, to be unified, to be unified with all, he says in verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing 
one another in love. I always like to interpret that word forbearing. Um, and it, the, it has a definition in the marginal Bible. It says bearing with. That really doesn't tell you anything. Let me interpret forbearing in a modern English a situation like we are. Forbearing means simply listening, put up with. Okay? That doesn't mean you like everything about me. It doesn't mean I like everything about you or you like everything about the guy sitting on your pew or the great gal sitting on your pew. Sometimes uh, we have characteristics and we're just putting up with one another. And you put up with those characteristics. Why? Because we're Christians. You know? We're not going to let somebody, uh, because they part their hair a certain way, uh, cause us a problem. Maybe we don't like the way they part their hair. We don't like the shoes they wear. We don't like, you know, so what? You know, so what? We forbear one another. Uh, Some of us uh, dress a certain way. Some of us wear ties. Some of us don't. We forbear. Uh, Some of us... uh, shave closely some of us don't shave and uh, that's that's just for bear you know we put up with one another and why chapter 3 verse 19 and to know the love of Christ that passeth knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God why church because we experience the love of Christ when we forbear when we put up with one another we and we forbear then we have unity. It means we tolerate our differences. Uh, the body of Christ was meant, if you go back to the original commission Jesus gave, is the church meant to be for everybody to look alike, sound alike, smell alike? No. The church was to be of all nations of people, men, women, children, the church was meant to be a lot of different things. So it bring, that thing brings unity. This is just kind of an overview again and <clears throat> catching up and a review. But let's go to chapter 2, verse 1. You hath he quickened who were dead and trespasses and sins. And quickened simply means in the to be made alive. We don't use that word quicken, but they used it in old English times. Uh, you has he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Listen, we were spiritually dead. In Genesis 2.17, what did God tell Adam? In the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Well, let's go back to that. I'm not sure that... Genesis, chapter 2, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for the day thou eat, you will surely die. Well, you know what happened uh, in chapter 3, verse 3 and 4 of Genesis 3. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said it to the woman, You shall not surely die. Well, they ate of it, and they didn't die physically. And the kind of death that God was talking about was not a physical death. 
they died spiritually. Their spirit, which was alive to God and could commune with God, was killed within them. It went dormant, and man, spirit within him, the spirit, the part of us that is connected to God is dead within us. And until Jesus comes in and makes it alive, we cannot have a living spirit within us. And this is why it says here, you has he quickened who are dead in trespasses of sin. We are spiritually dead. The spiritual relationship with God died when we sinned. And the only way it can be brought back and changed, he gives the promise, what? Of a Savior in Genesis chapter 2, verses 25, uh, a promise of that, and, uh, or 3, 7, and 8. And, and the redemption of man. Man had to be redeemed. God had to buy him back. God had to provide a Savior. God had to provide a means by which we could again fellowship with him. Remember, Adam walked in the garden with God. He walked in the garden. He talked with God. He communed with God. But then when he sinned, what did he do? He ran from God. He hid himself. He covered himself. You see, the relationship was broken. But who broke it? Did God break it? No. Adam broke it. And this is fallen man. And we are all children of Adam. Whether we like it or not, we're children of Adam. And we all sin, the Bible says, in Adam. And God did that for a reason. He allowed us all to fall in Adam. It sounds, uh, people have said to me, that's very unfair. I'd like to have had my own chance. And I always say two things to this, and the Bible points them out. Number one, if you had your own chance, given enough time, you would fail too. Okay, that's number one. So you're going to end up like Adam regardless. So what's the sense? Why, why even test you? Because if you're in the situation with Adam, it's been proven in innocence, man is going to sin. Number two, by God declaring Adam, and this is found in Romans, all men and death passed upon all men through one man, it allowed God legally then to forgive all men through one man. Oh, we all died in Adam, was it say in Romans? We're all made alive in Jesus. It allowed God to legally do something. By condemning us all in Adam, he saved us all in Jesus, or as many as will receive him. So, there you go. As a result of man's falling state, there's war, there's immorality, there's rebellion uh, against God, against his moral code, and the extent of man's Nature is delineated in Romans 3, and we're going to turn here and look at that just for a moment. Let's look at man's nature. What is man's nature like? Well, I would actually start in Romans 1, where it says that uh, man rejected God, and when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain. Their foolish heart was darkened. And God gave them up to uncleanliness, and they, their minds became reprobate. But let's go on to uh, chapter 3, verse 10, and see what God says about the nature of man. And we all hear this thing, oh, in every man there's a little good and there's a little bad. Well, you know, there's a lot of bad and hardly any good at all. Uh, I don't think there's any good, really, when it comes to God. As is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. 
So if you're sitting there, you're thinking, well, I'm pretty good with God, and I'm a pretty good person. God says, you're not righteous. Sorry. Matter of fact, Isaiah 64, 6, write that down. If you think you're pretty, a pretty good fellow, says that it, all our goodness before God is like filthy rags. And those, those rags are symbolic of, of rags that are used for purposes of health. In other words, soiled rags used in uh, injuries or what, some other thing in which are soiled. It says your, your, your righteousness are as diseased rags. Well, that's not good. So there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth, none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're altogether become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Wow. Verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But in the next verse, justified, declared righteous freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Amen? I have been redeemed by Jesus. And because of that, and I'm in Jesus, he says, you're righteous. Not because I am, because Jesus was and I'm in him. Amen? There you go. So, we're back to Ephesians chapter 2, 1. We haven't gotten very far. Uh, and we has made us alive. And we have seen the darkness of man's soul in Romans 1, uh, 21. Look at chapter 4, verse 18, where it talks about this as well. Chapter 4, verse 18. And having, underst having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. That sounds pretty bad. And then in chapter 5, and he says, who being past feeling, 5, 8, for you were sometimes darkness, but now you're a light, and the Lord walk as children of light. Whoa, we were darkness. We were totally, no matter what we say, no matter how you dress it up, you can put on a nice suit. You can put on a Brooks Brothers suit. You can clean the person up. You can take him to church. You can put them in society in a good position and everything. But all you really got, you know, if you do that with a pig, you clean them up, dress them up, you still got a pig. And if you do that to a sinner, you still got a sinner. You say, well, pastor, you a sinner? Yes, I am, but I'm a saved sinner. I'm saved by grace. Amen. So I'm redeemed. And I have the Holy Spirit in me, and, you know, it says something. It says in Colossians 1.13, we have been translated from darkness unto the kingdom of light of Jesus, the light of his kingdom. 2 Corinthians 4.5 says those that are lost, those the gospels hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world has blinded the eyes of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. Listen, folks. 
Lostness is darkness. And interestingly enough, if you study hell, you're going to find the people who live in darkness, if they don't come to Christ, are going to leave this planet and go into everlasting darkness. That's sad. That's sad to go from darkness to darkness. But we're in light, and we'll go from light to light. Lost people, and it tells us in those verses that lost people are under Satan's dominion, temporary dominion over the earth because Jesus has not taken possession. Look at verse 2. We're in a time past. You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of, air, of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Wow. Well, and then I just read to you 2 Corinthians 4, 4, and 5. So, if that's true, then there is the dominion in this world, the lostness, the lost people in this world are under the walking with and under Satan's dominion. However, Colossians tells us, as I quoted, we can be removed from that dominion, how? By receiving Christ. And then we are translated, the Bible says in Colossians, unto his kingdom. We're taken out of that satanic influence. That doesn't mean Satan can't influence us. Why? Because he'll influence our flesh. But we have the new birth to fight against that. Uh, several times in Scripture, when Jesus was crucified, he said that Satan was being taken down at the same time. You see, when Christ died on the cross, he basically broke the power of Satan. So once a redeemed person accepts Jesus in this world, Satan has no more dominion over them. Uh, John 12 and verse 31 <clears throat> says this, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And then in 1611, he says this. Uh, of, talking about the Holy Spirit of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. So see, he came under judgment. And we look around the world, okay, if God's in charge, what's going on? You ever heard anybody say that? If God's in charge of the world, what's going on? Well, Jesus is in charge right now. Uh, again, it goes back to that thing we talked about last week. He hasn't taken dominion, according to Hebrews. We, we see Jesus crucified, his spiritual kingdom, his spiritual kingdom established, <clears throat> but Jesus himself has not returned the second time to take possession of everything. But he will. He will do that and will do it in his timing. So we have a kind of a dual kingdom in the, in the world. We have the dominion of Satan and fighting against it is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And we know which one is going to sin. Or, sin, excuse me, win. Now, Jesus says something to the Pharisees. They claim to be the children of God. They said, well, we're the children of God. We're children of Abraham, therefore we're children of God. And Jesus says, 
in John 8, 44, that no, you're children of the devil. <laughs> How about that? Why? Because their sin nature. He was telling them, you're under, the, you're under his dominion. A lost person with just a sinful nature, you're under the dominion and influence of Satan, and you have nothing to counteract that. And here the name for us as an unsaved people in Ephesians 2 is the children of disobedience. And we walk according to the influence of Satan. So we should not be surprised. When we look around the world and we see people doing things, lost people, why are we surprised at that? What is Satan capable of? Well, whatever Satan's capable of, a lost person is capable of. By the way, who's the father of murder? Satan. It says so in the Bible. So when we see people murder, what's the source of that? We see violence and murder. Who's at the heart of that? Well, that's Satan, of course. And his influence over the lost world. And he's using the unsaved people to do his work. Uh, so when we see them doing evil things, we must realize who is influencing them. And I know that you've heard the stories of several ser serial killers, most notably Jeffrey Dahmer, who came to Christ in prison. You see the horrible, awful things he did under the dominion of Satan, but received Christ and I think was murdered in prison by somebody. But regardless, you know, he entered into the kingdom of God if he truly accepted Christ. <clears throat> but we see horrible things done. Paul said, I'm an example of believers who would come here after. Paul had Stephen Stone and other Christians put to death. It was his hand that guided the murder of Christians. I would not want that on my conscience or resume. And then by verse 3, it says, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We are the children of wrath by nature. But verse 4, but God, and I'm, I'm glad he put that in there, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he has loved us. Wow. And having read the previous two verses about the children of disobedience, you have to wonder why did God love us? Why would a holy God love us? We don't know. We just know he does. And that he is a, he's God. And because of he's God, that's what he does. But uh, we, we see that. By the operation of the Holy Spirit, he has saved us, made our spirit alive. Once our spirit is alive, we suddenly realize what is wrong about us. Because for the first time, we're seeing ourselves not through our own eyes, but through the eyes of God. We might have thought we were pretty good. But let's look in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, and see what it says. Colossians 2, and verse 13. And you being dead in your sins 
And the uncircumcision of your flesh is quickened or made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that were against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. So when Jesus died on the cross and they found no crimes, and they put that board up there, he was king of the Jews, spiritually, listen to me, spiritually, God wrote our sins there. He has nailed all of our sins on that board, upon that cross upon which Jesus died. And he has blotted them out. Now, when God blots something out, like being blotted out of the book of life, it stays blotted. When God blots, it's a blot. Let me tell you something. Uh, so when he says he blotted out uh, the ordinances against us, he certainly did that. And that's what he did on the cross and we are born again. First uh, Peter 3.18. And if you'll kind of give me a time frame, Chad, where are we? 25. Okay, 25 minutes. Yeah. Okay. For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, made alive by the Spirit. So the just dying for the unjust, the word quicken here again simply be, be, means to be made, to give life or made alive. We were dead to God, but now we have been made alive. We have faith in Jesus Christ and his work through the operation of the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I can see that we're not going to get through the entire Bible study this time, but we're going to go as far as we can go. We'll go a few more minutes. I would like to go down and, and look at the next few verses at least. We'll read and begin looking at the next uh, few verses and we'll get into that and not much further. And has raised us up in verse 6 together, made us together, set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Well, you say, I'm not sitting together. Well, as far as God is concerned, you are. Uh, again, you're in that spiritual kingdom, and it kind of reaches down from heaven and gets us, and we are spiritually, positionally in heaven with him. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, the riches of his grace. We, we will see, we'll, we'll remember that, we'll glory in that. We'll praise God in that. In not just now, but forever. That's part of what we're going to be doing in heaven is praising God for his grace and his wonder. We will still worship him and it will be wonderful. It will be great. And how did that come? Through the person of Jesus Jesus had to come into the world. There was no other way that mankind could be saved. There was no other means by which God could save us except for Jesus Christ to come into the world. Divine, a divine person, God himself, in the flesh, came into the world among his own creation and died for their sins on the cross. And this is grace. 
Again, going back, it told us in the first few verses what kind of people we were. Why would God care? They're mean, they're evil, they're horrible. I don't care about these people. But he did care. He loved us. He is quick, even verse 5, even as he's dead and says, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. Well, grace just means the love of God coming down and doing an operation, doing something. And certainly, he did save us and do something. Did he not? Amen? And he has raised us up, but he saved us by his grace. That's the result. Uh, verse 5 and 6, grace by grace you save. Verse 6, that's the result of God's love. And God's love came through grace. It doesn't mention love here, but that's what it's saying. Love was the motivator. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? I, because I know John 3.16. Do you realize that? Do you realize the motivation for God sending His grace and His Son? God so loved the world. He actually cared about us. Even on a personal basis. And I can tell you how personal that is. Is, is God looked down at this planet, I believe this, theologically, uh, I do believe this. But there, in all of the world's history, if there had only been one person that would have accepted Christ, just one, Jesus would have still come and died. He would have died for one person. I believe that. And I theologically pretty much know that to be true. Because he died for us all individually, he certainly would have died for one individual. That's that. Try to wrap your mind around that. That the God of heaven would have come, experienced, and went through all he went through for one person. If that one person had just been you. That is amazing. I think that's why we call it amazing grace, do we not? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like you. You know, we certainly do call it amazing grace. And it is the grace by which we are saved. Grace means everything. I'd like to get into grace and what all it means. You know, there's dying grace and there's living grace and there's uh, teaching grace. And this is salvation grace. Grace comes in many forms. Uh, there's the grace that sends help. Uh, so grace comes to us many ways. And in a way, uh, I always say that grace is simply God's love with legs on it. Uh, and that's what it is. It's, it's God's love coming down and doing something. Uh, the operation of God's love in the world, that's what grace is. And then, of course, we come to these wonderful verses, and I think I'm going to read them and, and maybe make a few comments. And we're going to stop there. We'll pick up here next time. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, it's not of works. We can't work our way there. We can't be good enough to get there. We can't do, we can't be baptized enough, join enough churches, do enough good things. 
And I'm not against good things. I'm, I'm very much in favor of them. But to get to heaven, we can, it won't get you there. You're, you're not going to get there because you won't be good enough because you're a sinner. I read to you all that we are. And you said, well, I haven't exhibited violence and all those things in my character. You may not have. But can I tell you something? It's there. Whether you have exhibited the capacity for it is still there. Remember that. The capacity for every sin is still within our sin nature. And that makes us a sinner to God. And so we have to have that, we have to have a different standing. We can't stand on our own merit. And so God, through his grace, sent Jesus to be our standing. And Jesus is our standing, and he's perfect. And he died for sin, and he died for, to, to forgive all of our sin. And that's the rock we stand on. We don't stand on our own merit. It says here, what? Not of works, lest any man will boast. If a guy comes and says, hey, I'm so good, I'm going to heaven. No, you're not. The Bible says you can't boast. Because it's of grace. Grace means we don't deserve it. You understand that? Grace means, actually grace means you're a sinner, but in spite of that, I'm going to love you and forgive you anyway. Uh, you don't deserve it. That's what grace is. Grace is something we don't deserve. Grace means something God did. And that's why over in Hebrews 11, along came people after Jesus and after Paul and after Peter and said, oh, you know, you got to believe in Jesus to be saved, but then you got to be good to help him. <laughs> well, Paul had an answer for that in Romans eleven eight. He says, if it's of grace, which means not of works, totally of God, you know, God's mercy, God forgiving us for who we are. If it's of grace, listen to me, it can't be a work. Because if you work, you deserve something, right? Well, he said if heaven was of work, then it could not be of grace. Because they're total opposites. They're oil and water. They don't mix. If, if it's of God's mercy, totally of God, then it can't be a work. He said otherwise grace wouldn't be grace. But if it be of work, then it can't be of grace. Otherwise work wouldn't be work. So he says, you can never combine works and grace. You cannot mix the two together. You cannot say, I got to help God to get me to heaven. That's why Jesus said, I heard, a, I heard uh, Charles Stanley say recently, I loved it. He said, that's why Jesus said it's, it is finished on the cross. He said, if he hadn't said that, he said, the whole world would have said, oh, we got to do something to, to help our salvation. He went on to say also, Jesus did not go to hell. I've heard this. Jesus went to hell after he died to suffer more. For Oh, give me a break. He suffered on the cross. It is finished, he said. That was it. Jesus did not go to hell. He went to paradise. That's what he told the uh, uh, man on the cross. And we'll talk about that at a later time. But he did not go uh, to hell. But uh, this is the result. For by grace we save through faith. And it's our faith in Christ that saves us, not of yourselves. And he goes on and says, it's a gift of God. If you have any question about it, it's a gift of God. It's free. It's a free gift of God. You don't pay for it. You don't do anything for it. It's not of works. You can't boast about it. It's by grace through faith. There you go.
grace through faith. And that's what we have to remember. And we're going to, I think, stop there. That's a, was that about 45 minutes? Okay. And we're going to stop there today, and we'll take up next time uh, in Ephesians 2. We'll be talking about we are created in Christ Jesus. We're going to take up with 8 and 9, but then we're going to also get into verse 10 and following and the peace and unity of believers. God bless you for following our Bible study with us this week, and I pray your blessing. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you. We give thanks to you. Praise for all that you've blessed us with. We don't know why you loved us, but you did love us and gave us life eternal. Lord, we ask your blessings today. Be with us and nurture us and help us. In Jesus' name, amen.